0: God's word in, in Acts chapter nineteen is where we are. And uh we see Paul in Ephesus this this day, this uh this Sunday. Of course he's not still at Ephesus, he's that's been how many years ago, but uh in the scriptures he's still at Ephesus and uh that's a real bad one. Uh, but I got to laugh. i looked look tomorrow. But uh, that was as bad as that one uh, Ken uh, Hovon. Remember when he said, this is my wife? He said, no, actually, that's a picture of my wife. Remember that? <laughs> I thought that was pretty bad, so I'm not the only one. Let's read together, though, uh, Acts chapter 19, 1 through 10. And may God speak to our hearts. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country. And some, and, excuse me, and came to Ephesus. I had it underlined and I couldn't read. The, and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized uh, with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him, that is, in Christ, who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about twelve men. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And, his, and this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And uh, I title this Gospel Transformation, even though the word gospel Actually, it's not in these ten verses, the word gospel. Uh, It's all about the gospel. (laughs) That's what's so interesting uh, in uh, how people transform by believing the gospel. How do you grow? Believing the gospel. How are you changed? By believing the gospel. It's really, uh, as Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to all those that believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, this is really just uh, concerning uh, the wonderful gospel that we, that we have been given. And our responsibility to tell others. We see how God in his mercy has, uh, shows grace towards this small group of, of, uh, of men. These followers of John who still don't know about Jesus, obviously, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit, but how God, incredibly, with great grace, pours out His Spirit on these, on these men. And uh, anyway, so we want to look at that. But last week we looked at Apollos, and Aquila and Priscilla, in Ephesus, and how uh, Aquila and Priscilla... Uh, brought Apollos along in his understanding to understand the uh, better the gospel of Christ. And of course, Apollos knew Jesus, was the Messiah, but I think these 12 men that Paul lays hands on were still looking for the Messiah. Uh, they had not gotten the full story. They were in the dark, if you will. And we could go into detail of what that looks like. I'm not really interested in that. But... Uh, Realize that John the Baptist had already been dead for twenty years, <laughs> so you can be a long time in darkness as as they were uh, but they were still following John the Baptist somebody uh, one of the commentators said uh, he they were a strange group, and uh, I think that's that's really a good way to describe them a strange group I don't know today if you can still find Followers of John the Baptist. There might be some, but I've never, I've never met any. Uh, but we see uh, Apollos leaves Ephesus to go to Corinth. And again, how in God's sovereignty and, and his plan and his working, amazingly, not by chance, Paul shows up in Ephesus where there's a vacancy. And God will always supply his people with his man with just when they need it and i'm going to talk about uh myself even coming to this church, how God worked that out and so god's at God's at work uh, and there's no coincidences with god there's no coincidence no there's no chance God's working uh, through his servants building uh The New Testament church. Uh, He fills it wherever there is a vacancy. Uh, And it shouldn't bother us that God is at work doing this. We should be thankful for the sure plan of God. And we can see God orchestrating all of these, these things and carrying out his plan. What should that bring to us? Comfort. His coming again should bring us comfort as we read in Thessalonians. It should bring us comfort. And uh, I hope we'll find comfort uh, today because God places his servants just where he wants them. And uh, altogether, Paul spent about three years in Ephesus and longer than any other place he, he stayed. And, uh, and so my coming to this church was just that. There was a vacancy, and God had told me, and I haven't, I may have shared this, I know I've shared it with you before, but God was telling me in this other church I was attending to leave. And I said, well, where am I going, Lord? And he said, just leave. Take that step of faith and leave. And I did, and David called me the next week, and we'd been there nine years. And there was this open... And God just worked all that in his plan to bring me here. And uh, so God is working. So let's, let's remember that. I want to talk about five points. Really, it's about the gospel. The gospel going, first of all, to another place. We find that place is Ephesus. Uh, Paul comes back to Ephesus and, of course, that was his desire when he left. He was well-received. And we might ask the question, why would you leave? Uh, and we talked about that last week. But anyway, he comes back. And, uh, and after we know he went to Antioch, and then this begins his third missionary journey, and he visits other places before he gets to Ephesus. Well, Ephesus itself is a, uh, was a large city. Matter of fact, uh, the temple, to uh, the goddess Diana, was one of the wonders of the world. And tourists would even come to this city of a half a million people just to see the temple. It was that magnificent. And uh, even criminals found uh, sanctuary or protection in and around this temple as long as they stayed there. And so this was a very pagan city, though. And... uh, So he was uh, brought back to Ephesus and guess who had just left? Apollos. And what does the verse say? We saw last week, there's some that plant and there's some that water, but it's God who gives the increase. And so that's what's going on here. Uh, The gospel going forth. And then we find uh, it goes to another group of people. We've seen different peoples people groups that the gospel has gone to. And uh, we find here, if you will, these disciples of John the Baptist. And they had defects. Uh, They did not have complete understanding of of the gospel in any way. And we find that uh, what happens to them, I think, was the Fourth Pentecost. There was a Pentecost we know in three other places when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And this is a fourth place. And uh, a lot of Pentecostals will use this and the other places to say that uh, uh, this is a proof text for a second blessing experience for all Christians. That this is the norm. And uh, they think what happened here should happen whenever you meet. And and so forth, and uh, I personally don't hold to that view. I think uh, uh, this was a a special time in the in the church, in the life of the church, starting the beginning of the church, and that was prophesied, as you know. In in Acts, uh, we find in Acts two where Joel prophesied of the Holy Spirit coming, and and all of these signs and wonders that accompanied that. and the key to remember, I think, is Acts as a transitional time. A time when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on people uh, of all uh, nations. And that's, that's what we find. Uh, so, it was poured out, first of all, in Acts 2 to the Jews. Then in Acts 8 on the Samaritans. And then in Acts 10... With Cornelius, it was poured out on the Gentiles. And now, fourthly, in Acts 19, we find the Holy Spirit is poured out on this group of men, these disciples of John. So we see, we see God is no respecter of persons. And God, uh, it went out to, to all people, all people groups, His Holy Spirit. And as David said, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and uh, that's, that's so important to see. So the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And so I see uh, Pentecost in four parts fulfilled. And, uh, but are we then to just say, okay, what, there's, there's no use for the Spirit then? If, if the Spirit is no longer poured out in, in the sense of with prophesying and speaking in tongues, no, Paul is very clear about that and we looked at that going through Ephesians, remember, in Ephesians 5.18. And uh, let's turn there and, uh, and of course that's the, be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's that's Ephesians 5:18. In the in the meaning there the Greek is be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so yes, we can be we we have the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. We have that, but you can be filled filled constantly with God's Holy Spirit to a greater extent. In other words, your love can grow. Your love for Jesus can grow. Your patience and self-control can get stronger and stronger. What is that saying? You become more and more like Christ. And you can do that as long as you yield to the Holy Spirit. And uh, so that's uh, vitally important. And so, also we find the apostles were present at each one of these Pentecostal experiences there was at least one apostle there Paul was an apostle and he was here with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on these men but if you want to hold something else of course that's uh, uh, your interpretation uh, fine but uh, mine is uh, the the latter that I spoke about but anyway that's not really what I want to dwell on here though with this passage I won't uh, people to understand that we, are, we have the Holy Spirit and it's, it's important that we yield to His Spirit. Uh, so, this group of people, these followers of John the Baptist, had heard a portion probably of uh, even of what John the Baptist taught because Paul tells them here in this passage, does he not, that he spoke of one to come, Jesus, to believe in him, to trust in him. Now turn to Matthew chapter 3, and we know that because that's what uh, <clears throat> the scriptures tell tells us in Matthew chapter 3. And you'll have to bear with me uh, as I turn there, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. As for me, John the Baptist says, I baptized you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with what? Yeah. So even John the Baptist said, Don't look to me. In other words, what did he, he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Look to Jesus, you know, I must, I must decrease, but he must increase. And so this was not uh, something that they were doing that he taught at all. And uh, we see also in this uh, another Pentecost, which I've already talked about. I won't deal any more time with that. But we also see another rejection in verses 8 and 9. Uh, Paul taught for three months there in the synagogue. And like every place he went, just about, I, I think every place, he was uh, their hearts were hardened. Uh, uh, they did not believe, so he withdrew. And, uh, and so notice also Luke describes here the content of Paul's preaching. And I want to deal with that. But again, and not take it in all its aspects, but just the application that it makes for us. Notice Paul's gospel preaching is synonymous or a synonym uh, for preaching the kingdom of God. And we can find this in other places. Uh, Acts 20 and 25, we'll see that again. But I, he's not saying here that this is gonna, This is the literal, physical Christ on earth, ruling and reigning. What he's talking about is another kingdom that I want to talk about. And I think that's what he's dealing with. Uh, There is a sense in which there is a coming literal kingdom. I believe that. But I I know that there is a kingdom uh, now. And where does that dwell? And I've said it before. Right here. And uh, when he says... Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so you'll have to wait for that. But uh, he is preaching the kingdom of God, verse 8. And so uh, we'll look at that. And then also we see the gospel plant. Well, God does, but another gospel church is planted. And we notice the school of Tyrannus. Did you notice that? Uh, They used his building here. And uh, he evidently donated that. And we find many churches were planted from this building, which is interesting. Paul probably didn't go out to all these places, but they came to him, to this building, and and probably went back uh, to their towns. Because we we said besides Ephesus, there were six others. There was uh, Thyatira, Smyrna, Sardis, Pergamon, uh, Laodicea, and uh, Philadelphia and so most likely they started in this building where Paul was teaching when they came from all around to hear him and that's not i don't think anywhere taught specifically but that's probably a good uh, uh way to interpret that now i want to uh also see how we can apply this in our own lives because really the scriptures uh if you know and i took I took Acts in, it, uh, in, sc- in college and uh, it was a grueling course. I mean, it was just detail and, and you had to know where every little place was and da-da-da-da-da. You almost practically had to memorize the book of Acts to pass, basically. And so you can know all those facts and be able to quote all the places that Paul went. But if you don't apply to your heart... What took place in those places and how that applies to you, all knowledge doesn't doesn't amount to anything. You can know all and and not uh, have love, Paul says, as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. So uh, I've talked about that. But anyway, we see here gospel care for for the first thing. Gospel care. Uh, Even though the... uh, Pentecostals and others use this as a springboard uh, for a second blessing uh, 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 and some even teach when you're baptized the second time with the Holy Spirit you will speak in tongues and all that and if you don't you're not really a believer and so that's really I mean they're talking about Spurgeon they're talking about great men of the faith in the past who did not experience all of that and so you've got to be real careful here and 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 I want to do the same thing i don't want to tell the Holy Spirit what he can and can't do. You see what I'm saying but but then again, I want to be true to god's word okay and uh, and we should all be that way. but what i don't want us to miss is the fact that Jesus cares for his church. He really cares for his church. Here are these men were really cared for. They were blessed beyond blessing, if you will. I mean, what they must have experienced after being followers of John, to have this happen to them must have been unbelievable, is all I can say. Uh, But you know what? God cares for his church, no matter how small it is. These were just 12 men, yet he pours out his spirit on them. You know, we're small, but you know what? God can pour out His Spirit in your life and use you greatly. You don't have to be from a church of 2,000 people to be used by God. I know. God can use you where where you are here. Uh, You don't have to be big. You don't have to be big. You can cast all of your care upon Him. No matter how or where you are, how small you are, the trouble is we cast our care upon him, and then what do we do? Pick it back up. Remember the illustration I've given several times that I love. There's a hitchhiker on the side of the road, and he's got this big sack of potatoes, and he's he just going along, and a car comes along, a truck comes along, and he holds out his thumb, and the guy stops. So he throws his potatoes in the truck, and he gets out, he gets in and uh, sits down in the bed of the truck, and the driver takes off. And then the driver looks back in his rearview mirror, and what does he see? The man standing up in the truck with a sack of potatoes on his shoulder. And that's kind of how we do with Christ. We'll cast our care upon him, but then we get in the truck and pick him up to carry him. That's not casting all your cares upon him. So think about that. Uh, well, what did, what's the promise? Jesus said in Matthew eighteen twenty, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Do you realize He's in our midst right now? He is here with us. Matter of fact, if you could look around, there'd probably be angels sitting on all these lamps. And uh, maybe up here, just a whole room full of angels. But I know one thing. I know Jesus is here. He's in our hearts for one thing. The main thing is he's in our hearts. And uh, so we have so much to be thankful for. And then we find here also the gospel's winsomeness. You know, here's this group of of, uh, men, 12, it says approximately 12 men, and he doesn't hammer on them. He doesn't beat on them and say, you stupid people, you know, uh, you, need to, you need to straighten up here. And uh, No, he sees a need that they have, and he informs them gently. And they embrace the gospel. They, they just, oh, this is what uh, uh, they were looking for. and They embrace it. And, uh, and we need to do the same thing. When we find that people are in error, we need to love them to Jesus. Not beat them over the head and say, you're lost and going to hell. And, and uh, no, let them see Jesus in your life as you live around them. And draw them uh, uh, to Christ for one thing through uh, your, your life. By the way, let me ask this question. This is really convicting to me because I've been guilty of this. Do you find pleasure in making someone feel stupid and ignorant? Winning the argument but not winning them? We have to be very careful of that. Be interested in winning them and not the argument. We need to be humbled by by, uh, the Holy Spirit. We need to Die to self. We need to show ourselves humbled by the gospel. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter two four through nine. <clears throat> First Thessalonians two, four through nine. Glad I brought my Bible with the bigger print this morning. It's amazing how God works things out. But just as we, let me make sure I've got the right verse. That's a nice thing about having it overhead because you can, uh, you've already done this work. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4-9. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed God has witnessed, nor did we seek glory for men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ We might have asserted our authority. You know, you can assert your authority and I'm right, you're wrong. But we proved to be gentle among you. That's what we need to seek is to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be burdened to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. See, Paul was about other people. And he was tender and loving and kind and yet brilliant at the same time. I'm sure uh, people saw that in his life. And then we see, thirdly, gospel authority. Remember, the gospel comes with authority, it goes forth with authority. Someone said, winsomeness doesn't mean wimpiness. Winsomeness doesn't mean wimpiness. First of all, Paul was preaching about the kingdom of God. We see a hint of the authority here, gospel authority, and that is what? You cannot have a kingdom without a king. Paul was preaching Jesus, who is what? King. He is king, and he has authority. And so the gospel is an authoritative message of the king. Paul is telling all people they must submit to a risen, exalted king Jesus. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said, Ego in me, I, I am Jehovah, I am God, I am creator, I am king of all the earth. And when you say I'm gonna follow him, that's what you're saying. In Matthew twenty eight, eighteen, turn to Matthew twenty eight, eighteen. <clears throat> Sorry, this is taken a little longer without the overhead. <clears throat> Matthew 28, 18. This is the Great Commission. In verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that's what Paul is doing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end. And uh, he has all authority. All authority. And he is our authority as well. The message is a command from the king. And then we see also uh, a hint of authority. And they, they continued in unbelief. In verse 9. The Greek word here though means Disobedient. And, of course, when you're disobedient, you're disobedient against what? Authority. So the word here is for unbelief should have been translated, and it is in the New American Standard, uh, disobedient. They were disobedient to the command to believe on Christ, which equals disobedience. And then another hint of the authority is found in verse 10, where Luke calls the gospel the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. The truth is spoken. It is the Word of the Lord. When I speak the Word, I am speaking the Word of God, even though it's coming out of me. You see that? It's not me. It's the Word of the Lord. It's spoken. And uh, uh, it is Jesus... Speaking through his ambassadors. Turn to Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> and, boy, you're talking about a real uh, get your attention verse here. And th- this is it. It speaks to me that I need to be proclaiming the word of the Lord. Not me, nothing about me, but the word of the Lord. In Romans 10, 14 and 15. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? For how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring Good news. That's the gospel of good things. Wow, what a privilege you have. That you can bring the gospel to people and tell them the good news. The word of the Lord. And that's, that's powerful. Also, Ephesians chapter 2. We went through the book of Ephesians, but turn there quickly. <clears throat> Ephesians 2. I have this so underlined I better... Put on my reading glasses. Ephesians two, seventeen and 18. And he came and preached peace. That is, Paul is telling the Ephesians here that Jesus came and preached peace to them. Well, wait a minute. Jesus never did that. No. But through Paul he did. That's what Paul is saying. He says, and he came, that is, Jesus came and preached peace to you. Who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For though, but through him, we both have our access into one spirit to the Father. For through him. So, Jesus is the one who is speaking. Paul is just that ambassador bringing the message. And of course, then we find. The gospel was removed from the synagogue, as Paul had to do. He had to leave sometimes. And uh, remember, the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways, does it not? See, it drives a Christian to Christ. But it's two-edged and it cuts the other way. And it drives people away and hardens those who do not believe. And so we have to realize that. And we need uh, discernment. Uh, Matthew 7, 6 talks about uh, do not cast your pearls before swine. And you know what? When I go and, and, or when a Jehovah's Witness, when I have a chance to speak to them, I will say, I will take them to the Greek and I will show them when Jesus said uh, uh, that he is God, and I'll show them how it's true from the Greek. Then I leave it there. And i say it's been nice talking to you. But when you can disprove this Greek grammatical rule. Called the Granville Sharps rule. Remember I had those printed and handed out some time ago. Uh, I don't, we don't need to talk anymore. Because Jesus is the God and Savior of us. Amen. Titus 2 uh, 14, Titus 2.13, excuse me, Titus 2.13, so we need to remember, uh, also the hall of Tyranus here, the gospel uh, was declared from a building. You know, people say, oh, we have a church in our house. Why do they have churches in the house in the New Testament times? They didn't have a building, Right? So don't think you're spiritual because we meet in our house like they did in the early church. No, they, they met in this man's building in his school, the school of Tyrannus, where Paul was able to speak daily, not just on the Sabbath, but daily he declared the truth. And people came to hear him and uh, were saved and churches were started. So don't throw stones at a building. A building has a great purpose in, uh, uh, in the church. But remember, the the gospel is a savor unto life for those that believe. But for those who do not, uh, it's not good news at all. And uh, let me ask you this. Do you love hearing about the gospel? Do you ever get tired of hearing the gospel? For For the Christian, it's like getting another bigger lollipop. It's like giving a kid a lollipop because why? You just love it. You love it. Why? Because it takes you out of the picture. And you realize and understand Jesus died for my sins and all my sins are forgiven. Uh, uh, One day he he, he will call me and I will be raised from uh, the dead. And I I will be with him forever and ever and ever. Wow. Do you ever get tired of hearing that? A lot of people don't even want to hear that. Why? Why? Because they know what it costs to follow Him. To be conformed to His image takes work. And so we're not to harden our hearts. In hearing of the gospel. But we need to be lovers, lovers of the truth, and hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. And as you continue to resist the gospel, What happens? You will get harder and harder and harder and harder. I had friends. I I came back from Bible college and talked to them. Oh, I'll do that right before I die. I'll trust Jesus. What's wrong with that? It's not their doing. It's God's doing. And I didn't know that then. But... That's the truth. Do not harden your heart about anything. Leave your heart open to hear the Word of the Lord. Receive it. If you're not being a good husband, go to the Scriptures and see what it means to be a good husband and be that by the grace of God. As you listen to His Spirit, as you're convicted of your sin, as you Ask His forgiveness. The Holy Spirit. You know what happens when you, you ask for forgiveness, really forgiveness? The Holy Spirit floods you. But you know what? If you harbor sin in your heart, He will not hear you. You know, you can say, Forgive me, Lord, and not mean it, and not be forgiven. So, we need to, we need to understand The gospel, hearing the gospel, loving the gospel, the gospel really does transform. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning again for your word and this message from your word. And Lord, it's it's, uh, run over because of the uh, time. uh, But Lord, we we know that all things are working together for good. There's a purpose behind everything that happens. And so we look to you, O Lord. Teach us, God. Teach us from your word. Help us not to be just hearers, but doers of your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.